This podcast is brought to you by jewishpodcasts.org. Start your very own podcast today at jewishpodcasts.org. Hi, good evening everyone. Tonight I am super excited to share with you Parak Kof Lamed. This Parak is our beloved Kof Lamed that we all know and that we all know by heart. We have it in our back pocket for when we need it. It's our go-to parak that we say in our times of need, whether it's a Hatsala ambulance passing by or whether we have a cake in the oven and we want it to come out good. And I hope that delving into this, you know, my intention today is that we'll delve into the deeper meanings of the, the psukim here and we could gain an even greater appreciation so that when we say this parak and we say it so often, when we say it, it could have so much more meaning for us. So in this parak, we are depicting our fervent prayer to Hashem to forgive us for all of our iniquities and to save us from whatever troubles we are experiencing. Most of the parak, actually, interestingly, um, is expressing our confidence and trust in Hashem's forgiveness and redemption from our personal sorrows and from Gullus. So from this parak, we're going to deduce some important insight into the concept of apologizing. So we'll see, we'll see that, we'll, we'll get back to that after we go through the Pesukim. Okay. Parakof Lamed, Pasuk Aleph. Shir HaMalos, Mimamakim, Kerasicha Hashem. A song of ascents, out of the depths I call to you, Hashem. So Rashi says here that Mamakim, the depths, is in plural form. And the reason that it's in plural is because it's, sh- it's talking about the many different sorrows that people go through. Collectively, as as a klal, we go through many different issues in Parnassah, Shalom Bayis, health, all kinds of challenges. So that's why Ma'amakim, from the depths, we're calling to Hashem from the, from the midst of our, of our sorrows. The Talmud is deriving a halachic principle. He derives a halachic principle from the word Ma'amakim, and he says that from here we learn that one should not daven on a stool, on a bench or any high place because there should be no haughtiness in the presence of Hashem. So not that I think anybody's pulling out their step stool to daven chakras tomorrow morning, but I thought this was an interesting halacha that I don't really remember learning. So just wanted to share. Pasuk Bez. Hashem shema v'koli tiyena aznecha kashivos l'kol tachanunai. Oh Hashem, listen to my cry. Let your ears be attentive to the sound of my pleas. So here we're yelling, we're saying, Hashem, Shema Vakoli, Hashem, listen to, listen to my voice. It's like, almost like a, like a, we're screaming here. But the Tama tells us that we should not raise our voice in prayer. You know, it says, who raises, who raises their voice in prayer? The idol worshippers would cry out loudly to try to awaken their deaf idols. So raising our voices is kind of like showing that I don't trust. It's it's a denial of of Hashem's power. It's denying that Hashem is everywhere and that He can hear even the lightest whisper. It's a, it's a, it kind of shows a lack of faith. But here, so why are we saying Hashem Shemavakoli in this loud voice? Because the psalmist here is crying out in anguish from suffering and doesn't have the presence of mind to articulate his requests in a calm way. So it's not coming from a place of a lack of emunah, but it's coming from a place of just crying out in pain. If you notice, it says, um, the koli, 
and then Shema Bakoli, and then Lekol Tachanunai. So it doesn't speak about Hashem listening to Bakashasi, to my request, or Tfilasi. It doesn't talk about um, a specific Tfila. We're just saying, Hashem, be attentive to the sound, to the call, the sound of my pleas, the sound of my cries. And what we're saying is that when I'm in distress, and if, if sometimes if I'm in a great amount of distress, I can't compose and or articulate the words of my prayer the way I would like to. I can't say what I want to say. So Hashem, we're asking here, Tiena aznecha kashuvos. Let your ears be attentive, lekol tachanunai, to the tachanunim, to the plea, to the request that's underneath the the kol, that's underneath the cry. So, for example, like a lady who's having a baby, when at the end when it gets very difficult and she's screaming out in pain, underneath her screaming is really like a, a tefillah to Hashem, right? She can't say articulately, Hashem, could you please let this experience be over for me now, right? She can't talk, but she's in so much pain, so she's just crying out, and in the hopes that right, Hashem sh- will hear, Hashem will be attentive and really listen, even when there's no words to the cry. Okay, pasuk gimel. If you would preserve our sins, Hashem, who would endure? Who would survive? So we're saying here, yes, we admit that we sin, but we need you to continue to forgive us and to do to, to accept our tshuva, because if you would bear a grudge against us and not give us this gift of forgiveness, who could ever survive? Who could ever withstand your judgment? Who could endure? And who's going to be alive standing when Mashiach comes? We have too many sins. If you're not going to forgive us and you're going to hold a grudge, Miyamod, who could stand? Pasuk Dalit, Kiyam Chas For with you is forgiveness that you may be feared. Why do we fear Hashem? Because He forgives us. What's the connection here between fearing Hashem and Hashem's forgiveness? So there's two different points I want to, two different ways I'm going to answer this. Number one, um, just to give you a mushal, think for a minute, If what would happen if every time you ate a cookie, you gained a pound? Imagine if that pound was something that you could never take off. That's the new rule of life, chas v'shalom, that you eat a cookie, you gain a pound. How many of us would be motivated to hit the gym the next morning? So obviously the answer is no, we wouldn't be. Why? Because if if I can't fix it anyways, why would I put in all the hard work and effort that would go into fixing it? If I'm already told, I'm not going to be able to do it. So the same goes when it comes to our spiritual world. If you were to do one sin and know that you were doomed forever because of that one sin, what would happen? You'd be completely hopeless of ever being able to do Hashem's will. So why even try? But the fact that Hashem forgives us and enables us to do tshuva, therefore, because of that, Laman Tivare, we're able to continue fearing and serving Him because we know that we can constantly keep hoping for salvation. So that's the first explanation. The second explanation is that I'm going to give you tonight is that when a person does a sin, a spiritual barrier is erected that separates him from Hashem and it diminishes his Yerushamayim, his awe of heaven. 
So, like, the reason why a person does one sin and then it's just easier for him to keep sinning is for this reason. Because when a person does something bad, he he's, like, separated in a certain way. He becomes more distant from the Kedusha of Hashem. So, when Hashem forgives someone, he does way more than forgive just the sin that the person that the person did. He actually removes the whole barrier and he gives the person a renewed ability to fear him with a renewed intensity. So that's why it's saying, Hashem, because you, because you are forgiving and not just forgiving, but you're doing it your style. You're really forgiving and you're removing any barriers that I put up. Therefore, I'm able to um, I'm able to fear you. I'm able to fear you just like I did before I did the, the sin to begin with. Okay. I put confidence in Hashem. My soul put confidence in Hashem and I hoped for his word. So we kind of have in this Pasuk three different ways of saying that we're putting our hope and our confidence in Hashem. So let's look at the Kivisi and the Kivsa for a minute. Those are the root, they, those share a root with the word tikva. Tikva means hope. So why do we need to say this, this tikva, this lashon of tikva two times? So the answer is that kivisi Hashem is referring to our physical bodies, that we're putting our confidence in Hashem, that He's going to take care of us in a physical sense, that He's going to keep us secure and healthy. And the kivsa nafshi is referring to the spiritual protection that we're going to have in the next world. So, okay, so we have physical and spiritual. But what about Lidvaro Hochalti? Again, we're adding in a different way of saying it, but we're saying the same thing. We're saying that we are hoping for Hashem's word. So the Malbim answers that Tikva is different than Yichal. The word Hochalti is Yichal. It's, it's a different thing than Tikva. What's the difference? Tikva is when a, the, the hope is coming only from the person's heart. There's nothing outside that would, that is, that is promising to deliver results. The person is just being hopeful just from inside because they want to be. And Yichal is when there actually is a commitment coming from the outside that would lead a person to be hopeful. So in this Pasuk, we're looking at both. We're saying, Hashem, I put my hope in you, even with if you wouldn't guarantee anything for me. I know you want the best for me. I know you're taking care of me. I have tikva without any proof necessary from the outside. But I also, because out of your kindness, you also give me that yichol. You also gave us the commitment that you're going to redeem us. You, you promised us to redeem us, and therefore I could have even the stronger form of confidence in you. Pasuk Vav. I am more eager for Hashem than the watchman for the morning, watchman for the morning. So, first of all, why do we have to, first of all, what does it mean? What are we saying here? So the two answers that I'm going to give you are as follows. Number one, we're saying, Hashem, I wait for you among the people who are waiting for the morning. What does this mean? So this is a poem. Tell him we're reading a, po- a beautiful poem, and poems ha- are, have metaphors in them. So what's the metaphor here? We are among the people who are waiting for morning means we are among the people who are waiting for the gu'ula. So why do we have to say this twice? We say it twice because we know that in, in throughout history, there were times that the Jews... You know, they thought that Mashiach was almost going to be here, and they had different reasons to believe so. And yet, 
they didn't see that their dreams did not come to fruition. However, that's why, so that's why we add another Shomer and Laboker to show, you see, we're, we're still standing here waiting for the morning. We thought it was coming, it didn't come, and, we, but we didn't lose hope. We continued to be a Shomer. We continued to wait for the morning. And the second idea is that the Ibn Ezra says that Mishomer and Laboker means even more than the, than the watchers for the morning. What does this mean? He says that the Shomer Maboker are the guards that are waiting outside of the city gate and they're, they're, they have a night shift and they're watching to protect the city. And those guards are exhausted and they're looking anxiously awaiting for when the birds are going to start chirping and the sun is going to come up so that they could go home to bed. So we're saying here a beautiful statement. We're saying that's we're, we're trying to sh- emphasize how much we wait for the Geula. We're saying we we wait even more than the Shomer Maboker, even more than these people are waiting who are waiting to be relieved from their post. Pasuk Zayin: Yachel Yisrael al Hashem ki Hashem Achesed Let Israel wait for Hashem, for with Him is kindness, and with Him is abundant redemption. So the only thing that could potentially take away from our hope in this geula that we're talking about are our own shortcomings. So here in Pasuk Zion, we're being reassured, Kiem Hashem HaChesed. Yes, we have shortcomings, but Hashem is a God of kindness and Harbei Imofedus. He is yearning to redeem us and He has many infinite ways to do that. The Svarno says that these three words are showing that when a person is in a situation that thinks it seems impossible for him to be saved from it, he feels stuck, he's looking right, he's looking left, he doesn't see any end in sight, any way out, there's no light at the end of the tunnel, he needs to bear in mind these three words, Hashem has many ways to redeem him. He needs to realize that God is not restricted by the limitations that get in the way of frail human beings. And he has infinite means of redemption at his disposal. So take these three words with you from this parak because I, I've used it in, in at different times and they really are helpful. It's helpful to be able to access these words when you find yourself in a bind because it, they really reconnect you with the truth of Hashem's omnipotence. And he shall redeem Israel from all of its sins. So here we're ending off with a final message of hope and trust. Okay, so when we're looking back at the parak, I want us to notice for a minute that the first, the beginning part of the parak, the first three psukim are expressing our heartfelt plea, asking Hashem to hear us, to save us, to forgive us. And then the rest of the parak is an expression of hope and trust and even certainty in the fact that we know that Hashem is going to forgive us and redeem us and take us out of whatever difficulty we're going through because He is a God of chesed. So what underlying message can we take from here? What, how can we apply this to our life in a constructive way? Okay, so David HaMelech is showing us here in this parak a model of how to do tshuva with Hashem, and also how to, and and therefore we learn how to do tshuva with other people too. We learn how to apologize to other people also. He's showing here that the first part, just a short part of the parak, is 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 the tefillah part, and the rest is expressing our trust. 
So he's trying to say here that when you're, when you need a, when you're not, when somebody's angry at you, someone's upset at you, or you made a mistake, or whatever it is, you should offer your sincere apology. Yeah, mimamakim, from, from the depths of your heart, offer your apology, offer if, if you feel that you need to give one. But then, then you need to trust. Then you need to say, you know what, this other person is an adult. They're going to be able to handle their feelings around what happened. I apologized, and they could, you know, whatever residual feelings they have, put your faith in them that th- that they're going to be able to handle it. So that's the lesson that we learn here, that I learned out here from this parak. And I want to just take, let's take a look at this idea of asking for forgiveness. So the halachos of Aserasi made tshuva instruct us to, that we, that if somebody's being stubborn and they're having a hard time forgiving, we should try to apologize three different times. And after those three times, that's it. It's not your achrayis anymore. And the person has to be able to pick themselves up and figuring, figure it out on their own. So the halacha is showing us as long as you do your part and apologize sincerely, if a person is still choosing to be difficult, it's not your problem. We know that halacha talks about the regular average cases. The regular average people who are having a hard time forgiving, this is how you handle it. But then we have those specific, those more specific um, situations where we, at certain points in our life, we might find ourselves dealing with a person who's oversensitive or a person who's feeling needy of us, a person who's critical of the things that we're doing, a person who has expectations of us that we don't feel like we could fill. So think about it. Where in your life have you encountered this type of situation that was making you feel guilty about something that you couldn't do? Uh, You couldn't please somebody. You were disappointing or falling short in some way. So in these cases, you know, in the cases, well, sometimes we could fall short and it could just be a regular situation. But I want to talk about the cases where it's get it can be confusing because it's a person who is having a hard time forgiving you, is having a hard time accepting you as you are, and that's like a a, a very spe- a specific special type of scenario. So in those cases where you feel like you're constantly being told that you need to you you're constantly being made to feel like you need to apologize, those cases specifically is what I want to talk about today. And there is where we need to be really careful because it's very easy to get stuck over apologizing to uh, to try to appease the other person. And like we said at the beginning of the class, as women especially, and, and I see this a lot, we were people pleasers and we're empathetic and we want people to be happy with us. That's our nature. So sometimes we we, we take it too far. And if a person's not being appeased, we keep apologizing. I just want to give you an example that I was one time in a grocery store shopping for Shabbos and a lady came in with a grocery cart and she nicked my grocery cart ever so slightly. And she said, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm sorry. I'm really sorry. She said like three apologies just for that little thing. And I I thought it was odd and I just kept going and I went to reach for a bag so I could put my apples inside for my apple crisp. And she was also reaching for a bag at the same time. And she, she saw me and her reaching at the bag. She go, oh, I'm sorry. You go first. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. Again, another bunch of apologies. And again, it happened even another time with some other thing I remember. 
And I remember thinking in my head, this poor lady, she must, it has to be that she's living with someone or she grew up with someone who made her feel like she constantly had to be apologizing. Who con- And she, she has this guilt in her where she's constantly drawing people in her life that are making her feel like she has to keep apologizing. So we want to stay away from this habit. We don't want to turn out that way. We want to stay away from that habit. And there's two issues with over-apologizing that pop into my head just randomly, uh, off the top of my head. First of all, uh, over-apologizing eats away at our self-esteem because we're giving ourselves the message that we're not good enough, so we have to keep apologizing for everything we do. And the second problem is that our apology loses its significance when it's overused. And then what's going to happen? You're just going to keep needing to do it more and more to get the same effect. So how do we handle these situations with, with, with people who are, are really confusing us? Like, you know, there are, there are people that can really get us, you know, confused and doubting ourselves. Like, do, do I really need to apologize again? So here are the three steps that I want everyone to keep in mind when dealing with these type of difficult situations. So number one, the first step is you want to analyze objectively if indeed what you did is something that you should even feel sorry for, that you should be sorry for. Because when we're in these confusing situations, like sometimes we're so entrenched in it, it's hard to see the truth. So sometimes you might even need an outside opinion to give you clarity. Like, is this really, right? Someone's accusing me of not making filet mignon with mushroom sauce for supper tonight, right? Is that something to be apologetic for? Obviously not. Or what about if somebody's telling me that I should have came to visit them yesterday and I should have realized that they needed a visit and I never showed up? Is that something, if I didn't tell her I'm coming to visit, I I can't read your mind, right? So obviously that's not something to apologize for. Sometimes we need that outside objective opinion to help us set things straight. Okay, so after we objectively analyze, is this specific thing something that requires an apology. If you do need to apologize, you offer your your sincere apology, and then you need to be able to let go. You need to be able to stop taking responsibility for the other person's feelings and go into trust mode, just like we see in this parak. We go straight into trust mode. Hashem, we know that you're the God of chesed and harbei imo fedos. You have many ways of redeeming us. So same thing here. Apologize if it's needed, if you, if you see that it's needed, and then go into a place of trust. This person will be okay. They'll be able to handle it, right? Even if you've seen otherwise in the past, still, you want to go into that positive place of trust. And lastly, when you're, when you walk away and you move on with your life, how do you deal with those continuous feelings of discomfort, right? The, the doubt. Well, maybe I should apologize again. And maybe the person is still upset. So maybe that's my fault. And you have the guilt and the doubt. How do you deal with those things? So the, the secret here of how to deal with this is that we have to remind ourselves that other people's level of disappointment, other people's level of anger or, or, or whatever their negative feelings are towards what we did cannot be connected with what we did. We can't, we can't view our mistake and say, oh, their, their reaction is so intense. I must have made a really bad mistake. It must have been a severe, severely bad thing to do. It can't be that way. So for example, 
If you show up five minutes late to work and your boss is huffing and puffing and complaining that you're late. So if you're, if you're in a balanced place, right, you, you realize that you say you're sorry. I'm sorry I'm late. And now you think in your mind, listen, boss, you could huff and puff all you want, but that doesn't make my five minute lateness into a federal crime, right? You have to be able to separate. Yes, I was late, but that's not, that's not a big deal. Like that, that's not connected with his over the top reaction. And if you could do that, if you could separate it, you'll have a much easier time being okay next to the reaction of somebody else because it doesn't define who you are and what you did wrong. Okay. Um, I just want to add here that I have a nice, a really special friend, super sweet girl. And she said to me, you know, she heard, she was listening to this and she said, these ideas. And she said, you know, but really, how do you know? She's that person that's apologizing very often. How do you know? It really says you're supposed to apologize three times. Da, 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 da. So I explained to her, listen, Halakha is talking about the general, you know, the, the regular type of people in the specific cases of difficult situations. So, you know, those, those are to be handled differently. And if you're not sure about it, a very, int- a very, Good way of dealing with it, if you're really confused and you're really not sure, is to consult your, your rabbi that you trust. Sometimes getting the haskama of, of somebody that you trust is, it could be so powerful. It could be such a powerful way of centering ourselves in a tough, in a tough situation. So if you're not sure and you're constantly walking around with the guilt and the guilt, ask a shaila and move on with your life. You could also go back to this parak to remind you the way people are supposed to be. We're supposed to follow in the ways of Hashem and be kasha lechos v'noach lertzos. Perkeavos tells us we should be like Hashem, who is hard to anger. It takes a lot to get him angry. At the same time, though, noach lertzos, it's easy to appease him. So keep in mind that this is the way we humans are supposed to be. And just as we know that Hashem is this way, we should be able to trust other human beings to try to be following in this Sarah, just like we're supposed to. So we have to be able to do what we need to do and trust that other people will be able to take care of their own emotions. Just to review the three steps that we spoke about. Number one, the first way to handle it is to analyze objectively. Is this something that requires an apology or not? Ask somebody for help if you need. Then you, if, if it does require one, you will offer your sincere apology and then let go and go into trust mode. And the way to stay, lastly, the way to stay in trust mode and not to second guess yourself a million times is to gain the skill of being able to separate their reaction from what you did, from whatever mistake or action you did. It's two separate things. And when you do that, then you realize you are not responsible for their reaction. What you did did not create the severity of their reaction. The severity of their reaction be, could be created because of a past wound that's still unhealed. And, the, and that this is just being like an added straw that broke the camel's back, but it has nothing to do with you. And once you realize that your five-minute lateness or whatever it is, is is not the cause of their emotions, it will be easier for you to let go of taking responsibility for them. So those are the three steps. Before I end off, I just want to, you know, I hope everybody gained from tonight's class. And I, and if you really want to gain, you really need to see, like, where in my life 
Am I doing this? Where am I taking too much responsibility for other people's emotions? Where do I need to stop feeling guilty and start trusting people to handle their feelings? Where am I overextending myself in unhealthy ways to appease people? Where am I over-apologizing? Um, and, and, and look in your life. Is there somewhere where I'm not paying attention to my inner voice and I'm busy taking care of others, other, other people's emotions? Um, and once you do this, you could see where you need to apply these three steps. Thank you all for listening and have a great night.